Hello and welcome to Josh Coleman's podcast, a place to have inspired conversation with interesting people. Hey everyone, today's podcast has Anne Beirube. She's been a close friend for many years, is a transformational speaker, author, and spiritual teacher. Her and I have been friends for quite a long time and have seen each other through so many different upgrades and versions of each other, and so it's really exciting to have her on here today. She recently wrote a book called Be, Feel, Think, Do, and about three quarters through the podcast, there's a small guided meditation to bring us into that state of understanding and consciousness. Enjoy. Hey, Anne. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Josh, for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's been a long time. So, Anne, you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. If I were to track it back, I'm thinking about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been a lot of different experiences that you and I have had as friends and shifts in our consciousness and observations of each other's growth. And just it's been quite an adventure. Absolutely. I mean, when we met, um, I think I was just starting to work with... Um, Deepak Chopra and I remember we also produced like some events for you like we got you into yeah. yoga studios and doing meditations and yeah I've told you the good be- old days I've told you this before but there's actually a part of me that felt a little bit of guilt around that situation because <laughs> I would have been um, a freewheeling hippie and it's not that I'm not that now but I am much more responsible in other words like I don't fuck off on events or if someone says be here at this time I'm there um, at, the, at the time I think I remember philosophically being like oh well you know whatever happens whatever. happens exactly yeah, yeah. and you're this professional person working with professional people uh, so yeah I thought about that event before <laughs> I know I know but you know the only thing as you know that is super consistent about being human is change like we're always always changing and transforming and becoming this other version of ourselves over and over and over again and so now you're probably what version 363 (laughs) josh and i'm like same like uh, you know this more expanded version of ourselves yeah and we had to go through what we had to go through and i know for me those events that we were doing together showed me how I wanted to teach as well. So oh, yeah. Was that was before you were teaching. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, why don't, just for the audience, what do you teach? Like, what is your, what do you offer people? Well, I am a author with Hay House. And from the book that I published, which is called Be, Feel, Think, Do... I teach uh, healing, uh, emotional and spiritual healing workshops called the Happy Sessions. Um, And then I also uh, lead a workshop called Come Home to Your Soul, Mm. decoding the wisdom of your inner world. And so my very, very favorite thing to do in the world is to come together with a group of people and share the sacred space of authenticity, vulnerability, um, the expansion of our consciousness mm-hmm. and then into really remembering why we're here and who we really are. And is there a, you can't, it's different for everybody I'm assuming, mm-hmm. but what is the typical mm-hmm. response or experience that people have when they come to these events? We usually leave, I mean, we always leave <laughs> with a renewed sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. We, we come uh, to a place at the end of the workshop where we're more embodied as opposed to outside of ourselves or we feel like our spirit is fully in our body and we feel the full spectrum of emotions 
whether it's labeled as good or bad, but we're fully alive. We that are fully alive. was the quote alive. that you posted the other day that I reshared about that. It was about... Well, you know, we know now from... I, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of back it up a little bit, but we know now from epigenetics that the cells in the body can't be in protection mode and in growth mode at the same time. Mm. So we can't keep at bay the bad stuff. And then also feel the really good stuff. It's We can't be selective with emotions like that. So either the body closes in and protects you and keeps you from feeling the bad and then at the same time keeps all the beautiful peace and the joy that's available to us or we open our, um, our bodies and our, our inner being and tap into that parasympathetic system that says, I'm going to feel it all. Yeah. Even what I label as... Um, bad or wrong or too much, right? Like we, we often feel like if there's a feeling that comes about, we don't want to feel it because we feel like maybe it's, that's going to do us in, right? It's too much. It feels like a black hole, like an abyss. Yeah. But in my experience, it's never a black hole. It's always a tunnel. Mm -hmm. There's always a light. Absolutely. There's never a place we can't go and we're never sent anything we can't handle. So if a person was scared to open up to their negative emotions, for example, mm -hmm. and what you're saying is that's blocking us from feeling joy and from feeling happiness and from feeling all the other mm -hmm. uh, range on the spectrum of emotions, what would you recommend to those people that are feeling scared to make that jump or to go through that tunnel? Well, the, the first, the most important thing in healing is safety. So if the person doesn't feel safe in their own body, they can't go very far. So I can say, feel it all, but if you're not safe in your body or I push you to feel something you're not ready to feel, I can actually cause some damage. Mm. So my work is to bring you back home to you and deepen your sense of safety inside mm -hmm. your own body. And that might mean to just take a few deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> and it might mean bring your attention in your core, maybe in your heart space, mm -hmm. maybe even in your belly or all the way to the base of the spine mm -hmm. and breathing deeply there and seeing how it feels to be really fully embodied. Mm -hmm. But for some people, I'm very aware that that's very abstract. What do you mean pay attention to the base of my spine? What do you mean bring my attention to my heart? So I find that the hand is a very good place to start. You're telling me. <laughs> Bring your attention to your hand and see if you can feel the blood rushing through your fingers, through the palm of your hand as you breathe deeply. That's it. It's as simple as that. And then it might take some time, but patience is so important. And when you feel something, that is so important. It's gold. It is you're sensing feel your body saying i'm alive i'm connected and here we are together in this present moment we're nowhere else mm. it's magic that hand thing you know is actually a pretty big part of the meditations that i host as well and mm. it seems to be uh, universally accessible accessible mm. it's yeah. it's hard to say but like of all the different parts of the body that are very unaccessible and we've blocked off for various reasons and traumas and pain and that kind of stuff it does seem like the hands are just always ready to go they <laughs> are they are and they're connected to the heart chakra and so it is kind of a step towards going up the arm that's right and up into the center mm. of the chest 
But you know, another thing I find that really helps if someone really has a hard time getting into their bodies is remembering holding a puppy <laughs> or holding a, big, a, a baby bunny and just connecting with your pet or something like that really brings in a sensation in the body of love or connection or tenderness. And then we're, and then we're getting somewhere. Then the doors open. And we can take baby steps into a deeper level of, of feeling. Makes a lot of sense. One thing that you mentioned just a moment ago is that if you try to get a person to go into themselves before they're ready or without that element of safety, it can cause more damage. I noticed that there's a pretty big rightful critique, I guess you could say, in the spiritual communities of teachers that maybe have more of a masculine approach where mm -hmm. they're trying to get people to be a little more forceful, I guess, in their approach. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking of a people, I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> but that um, I've noticed that that's the strong critique is that, is that maybe you're helping some people, but you might be putting other people further back. Yeah, creating that, a gap. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I feel very conscientious of that when I'm doing my work as well. Um, so that feminine principle, though, of openness and mm -hmm. safety is a bit new in a weird way for our collective. You know, it wasn't like that for a long time. Mm -hmm. that a lot of the... The Zen teachers would hit you with a stick if you fucked up and stuff. You know, like there was a really... Did they? Well, wow. just that was just... <laughs> the idea was like more like the strong... is both be strong in your body and that sort yeah. of thing. But we're talking about be soft and be open to your body. Like mm -hmm. open your body to be receptive. And I think that that is... It's fairly new in our collective. And mm -hmm. I think it's been having tremendous results. Like I see people going through transformations regularly because of that safety because of that openness because of that ability to go into the darker painful spots but with a sense of ease and safety mm -hmm. um i don't know why i want to say that but i think it's pretty cool it's pretty big um and i think that in all different in all institutions and systems power is seductive mm. and so when you use fire to do your work and to gather people and you use it in, in my opinion, in a dis not you. I'm saying people, yes. <laughs> other teachers, in a disembodied way, meaning that they're not connected to their body when they're using right. the fire. Then it will land in a place that's not embodied for yeah. the people who are receiving it. And so, for women especially, we are called to reacquaint ourselves with that fire. Because it has scared us and scared the people around us as well for centuries, yeah. right? Yeah. And in the body, the third chakra is the fire center. Mm -hmm. It's an element that is masculine. The fourth chakra is air. It's also an element that is masculine, air. But if we go deeper underneath those two chakras, the first two chakras, the element of earth for the first chakra mm. and the element of water, for the second chakra. Those are two feminine elements. Mm -hmm. If we can go into the first chakras first and use the fire from a grounded, earthy and watery mm -hmm. way, it's the difference between a bomb, like fire, like a gun or a bomb, like the fire that is dangerous outside of ourselves and the volcano. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at Pele, you know, this spring, how she was in all her glory, erupting she's so grounded in her earth and her water that when she comes and she reshapes the land like that it is safe mm. if you get close that's your problem 
but she's, she, you know what I mean? <laughs> the warnings right? were given. They were, the warnings are given and she, and she, it don't get close and don't try to divert her. Mm. Let her clean her house. That's what we are called to do is to use our fire from a real grounded embodied way where I almost see our hips as the base of the volcano. And then fire, which is light, Josh, right? It mm. is light. It is our soul. It's God force. If we can use that light fire from that place of groundedness, yes, we might make a few people uncomfortable, but it will be safe. No, I see a massive difference in what you're describing. Yeah. And I, I don't know if the audience is going to be able to discern what we're talking about, but I have seen people where they're just kind of bullies. But what you're talking about is the strength of being like, it's time to go deep yes. within ourselves <laughs> yes. and find our deepest essence. Like that's a beautiful thing and really important yeah. in, le in leadership as well in that regard. The deeper you can go into your own safety with your own emotions, the safer you will be for the people around you. Right. That's it. Yeah, it's self-responsibility, yeah. self-reliance, yeah. self-authority, self-advocacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think our society or our world would start to look like if more people were tapped in in that way? I I think if we would cut through the bullshit. Like there's so much bullshit right now, and there's so much self-image being projected that's completely disconnected from the self, yeah. the soul, yeah. the God force. Um, I think that there would be just be it would just cut through all that bullshit and there will be a groundedness and we would we would have an easier time to see each other to really see each other mm -hmm. to really care for each other but not in an enabling way yes in a real i care for you so much that i'm going to speak my truth in this yeah. moment yeah. and i'm going to let the chips fall where they may because i trust that you're also god for us yeah, and yeah. trusting the other person's process is huge, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I, that's what I find the most fascinating about the work that I do in every time I need a workshop is to see like how joyful it can be to transform and to heal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be dramatic like it used to be. Describe that. Describe what it used to be and what when it can be. When we're kids, <laughs> we learn and transform and grow and heal through joy. We can feel a fire inside of our little bodies as we're playing can feel that change is about. And it doesn't scare us like it does as adults. It excites us. And so we feel excitement in the body and that's the fire. And then through that excitement and through play and through maybe like bumping against each other and like rolling around like in the grass and like pushing each other and falling down <laughs> trees and doing all the stuff that kids do. When, when as adults we look at them and it looks like a little chaotic and a little dangerous, but we just know how to move with each other and go about change and transformation in a joyful way. Mm. As adults, we start to label that fire inside of ourselves as anxiety because change is not comfortable. Mm. We need more permanency because we feel um, scared. That's amazing. like a quest for security. Is that fair exactly. to say? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, a quest for safety, and 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 because the more we can control our environment, the safer we'll feel emotionally, because our environment wasn't uh, emotionally safe growing up. Growing up, exactly. So then as adult, when the change is about, it's the same fire in the body, same fire, 
but we label it as anxiety. And don't route it into anything that might help with the transformation. Exactly. Yeah. We've learned to suppress it yeah. and to hold it down, to not speak it. And then now we get to a point as an adult where we want to speak it, but we forgot how. Mm. It, we don't even feel like we have the language. We feel like if we do, we're going to hurt someone. And so to me, that's where we're going back to is learning how to go through change and transformation in a joyful way. Mm. It can be joyful. It doesn't have to be dramatic. I feel like that might be what you do with these happy sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there, you know, there's a bit of a running joke that says, you know, that um, we say at the happy session that we measure the success of the weekend by the amount of tears that (laughs) that is shed. But there's a joy and sadness mm-hmm. when you can feel it you can feel the joy behind it so you're creating a container in these sessions and in your work in general i'm assuming one-to-one as well to bring back that excitement to bring back that that um, innocence and that joy that transformation can come from in a more natural way rather than let's say just again to give some reference to the audience a person being like you're bad you need to change mm-hmm. you're you need to be a better insert whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, that sounds to me again more like a christian thing where Mm -hmm. you're saying like change or you're a sinner but Mm -hmm. what you're saying is there's ways to change that have more deeper roots within the self and that are a lot more fun in the process yes is that possible absolutely (laughs) absolutely we birth ourselves again Mm -hmm. we allow ourselves to fully feel that fire and to know that we're safe yeah and really all i do is is um, the deeper I can go in my own safety, just the safety of the container is. Yeah. And I show up with a lot of vulnerability as well because I'm human. Yes. And <laughs> what? <Bullshit>. <laughs> and <laughs> I go through a lot of shit as well. Mm-hmm. And so I can't not show up there yeah. without that. I've noticed in my own classes, if I start with my anxieties or insecurities or mm-hmm. uh, something... At first, this is just, it all really started about two years ago where I really started showing up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really nervous, like, oh no, like maybe they won't take it seriously. Every single time, without, every single time, people said that that helped them trust more mm-hmm. and that helped them go deeper themselves. Yes. It's pretty cool, right? Well, there's mm-hmm. a tendency to put a, a teacher on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And when we share our vulnerability, we bring that pedestal down for them. And it's so important. I mean, I've done it so many times, put teachers on pedestals. And yes, there's a place for recognizing that there's an energy that the teacher has that really, you know, accelerates your own vibration. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing to be in their presence. But after that transmission or that process, there has to be a letting go process of the teacher. Wouldn't that be fucking awesome as a thing that came into our collective as a normal thing? Mm-hmm. I'm actually giving a talk this Friday and it's going to be about, that's going to be a big mm-hmm. part of it. It's going to mm-hmm. be about how do we still learn from people mm-hmm. without putting them on the pedestals? Because mm-hmm. usually if you realize you put people on the pedestals, the next step is a, a total anti that. So you're just like, no teachers. No I don't teacher. want to learn from anyone. It's like, okay, well, that's not going to work either. Exactly. How do we, uh, like, if someone was teaching you how to crochet, mm. you go and you learn how to crochet. And then once you learn how to crochet, you say, okay, cool. I'm going to go crochet by myself now. Exactly. <laughs> Rather than every step being like, is this one the right way? Is this one the right <laughs> way? You know, eventually it'd take a long time to make a scarf, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, when we put a teacher on a pedestal, we separate ourselves from that's them. That's right, yeah. And 
the reason why we're attracted to them is because they live in us. Yeah. So if we can recognize that they're a mirror and that we are yes. that, yeah. not and if, if we weren't that, we wouldn't even recognize them. Yeah, it reminds me of the, the golden shadow, if you've heard that before. You know how the shadow is where something you deny in yourself, yes. you see in others, but it's yes. usually a negative thing. Mm. A golden shadow is mm -hmm. when you deny something really good in yourself and you can see it in another person. Yeah. But, oh, I like that. Yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. without owning it as a golden shadow, yeah. you're looking above at someone else like, oh, they're so skilled. They're such a great painter. They're such yes. a good musician. Realize, not realizing that we have those skills to develop within ourselves too. We exactly. can be inspired by someone else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Um, a few years ago, about maybe five years ago, I was working with a guru. Her name is Saima, mm -hmm. just beautiful, beautiful um, Indian teacher. And you know, the only thing I had a hard time with was the following: like there was a real devotion part that was putting her on a pedestal with her followers. And, you know, like that Kool-Aid look. Yes. <laughs> I, I avoid it at all costs. Yeah. You just, you know, and, and sometimes I find it in the Buddhist community also. There's a bit of a, a disassociation with just the reality of the moment of humans being yeah. connected to each other. Which is ironic because the Buddha would have never wanted that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And so, but... Still, beautiful teacher, in her presence you can really sense an acceleration in your own vibration and there's something to learn there. There's a, there's a beauty and there's um, an expansion that happens. And so I produced an event for her in Montreal and there was about 1,500 people who came to the Théâtre Saint-Denis on Saint-Denis Street. And, you know, this is what she wanted was someone on stage to sing La Vie en Rose while she walked down the aisle in her robe and went on stage at the beginning of the event. And so I'm sitting in the theater and my dad's right in front of me. So he's, you know, he's kind of new to the whole spiritual path. He's been intrigued forever, but kind of jumping into it. And I invited him to come. And there's 1,500 people in the audience and Saima starts to walk down, glides down the aisle. Right? Just, her robe is floating and it's beautiful. Everybody's like, you know, kind of bowing to her. But my dad's kind of just looking at her like, <laughs> what is going on? And she walks down the aisle and she stops right at him. There's 1,500 people. She didn't stop at anyone else, but she turns towards him and she takes his head and she puts his head on her bosoms. <laughs> And she starts to breathe deeply, and my dad starts to sob like a baby. Big, 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 big sobs. Like, And I'm right behind him, and I'm crying too because it's yeah. my father, yes, right? Course. He's going through this huge healing by the mother. So Saima, her name is Mother. Hmm. And then she just stands up, and my dad settles, and then she goes on stage, and she does her whole thing. And... To me, that was like a, such a huge illustration of the necessity of the teacher. He didn't continue after that to follow her. He didn't become a devotee. He went back to Quebec to his place and he yeah. started continuing to do the work himself. But he needed that mother love that he's never experienced like that before in his life. Ever. And he needed something dramatic. He needed to manifest 1,500 people in front of his daughter with this beautiful, you know, long black hair, flowy robe, big bosom, you know, guru. Yeah. And had this amazing experience, yet could continue his path by himself. Mm.
That's a fantastic story to illustrate exactly what we were talking <laughs> yes, about. Exactly. Can, can I ask the, yeah. the other people who are more the followers in that situation mm-hmm. with the bowing and stuff? Do you, how would you address? How would you address that on, on a bigger level? Do you think that there's a necessity for that, maybe, and it just will run its course, or do you think that there are certain ways that we should try to uh, change that? I paradigm? think there's a responsibility on the part of the teacher. To not let that happen. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see Wild Country? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that amazing? Well, the thing that upset <laughs> me is a person who's into a lot of the same stuff. Like, I, like, I'm into free love and all these things. I just thought, oh, Osho, if you had only stepped up at the end and just said, everybody stop. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't need to do it this way. Mm-hmm. We don't need to fight anybody for one. We need to, you don't need to worship me. Like if he did that exact thing, yeah. if he took responsibility for what was created and advocate, uh, let go of those things yeah. and gave the power back to everybody. I think that would have been a nicer end. That was I my know. only thought. Yeah. I know. And, um, mm-hmm. I, f- I, again, power is seductive. And, you know, the lady, um, can't remember Sheila, Sheila yeah. in the documentary for if, and you know, if, people who are listening haven't seen it it's very it's a very fascinating netflix. documentary because yeah. on netflix because it shows all sides and that's what i loved about it mm-hmm. because i yes i agree that there is an amazing healing that happens with the approach that osho was was presenting but at the same time there's such a pedestal thing going on there that when when sheila disappeared and osho died there were some of the higher followers in the leadership group. They were lost. Their lives were destroyed. One of those women's son was dying of brain with a brain tumor. And she said, I, I have to start over my life. Like she couldn't even go to see him because she had to go to prison. And so everything went to the guru and her son. She wasn't able to be there for her son. And she said herself, I have to start my life again. And she doesn't mean like just getting an apartment and finding <laughs> yeah, a job. Yeah. She emotionally yeah. means, yeah. she means emotionally start again. Like that is devastating. So like, yeah, I think the, the lesson in all of that is let's not do that. Let's again. not do that. <laughs> like, and, and, and the thing is, is though people like yourself and I and many others I know who have a lot to offer it's interesting because we can look now and have these examples of how not to do it. There's a lot of how not to do it. Yes. I don't think there are a lot of examples as of yet as how to do it, though, yes. which is really interesting. It's a very strange position to be in. Help, help them come home to themselves. Like, in, in what, whatever your gifts, your gifts or your tools or what you were born with are, as long as they point them back to themselves. Yeah where they can be the leader of themselves first. They can lead themselves and stand on that. If there is a leader that you really admire and that you think you might be putting on a pedestal, and that could include your mom or your dad, I recommend that you do the exercise of just imagining them coming down from their pedestal and looking into their eyes at your level. And knowing that they're exactly at the same level as you, you are them. And knowing and that see most likely that they've got traumas and mm-hmm. have made mistakes that led them to be who they are. You know, at the very start, I just this just this is a big topic, and it's something that I'm trying really hard to address in my classes and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So at the start, I always give a little spiel that says, first of all, this practice, which is a meditation practice called presencing, which you know very well, um, is not religious or moralistic. 
Mm-hmm. It's like those are things that people need to have for themselves. That's not something a person can give you. And then the other thing is you can't put me onto a pedestal because if you actually followed me for like three days, I'd fart and I'd fall down and I'd say <laughs> the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, there's like, there's a, but I'm giving a spiel at the start of every one. However, it seems a little funny to have to give a spiel at the start of every one too. It's because we're having to counteract mm-hmm. a, a tendency that's been going on for millennia. <laughs> And we're yeah. trying to we're trying to bring this different approach. I really hope there's a time where I don't have to say that because it's obvious. Yes, that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my sense is that if you share from a vulnerable place, you do it by modeling mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. right? And so they see, oh, wait a second, she, she, or he's just one of us. Yeah, just like us. Oh, wow, that sounds intense. What she's been through. Yeah. I, she can relate yeah. and we're we're both humans yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah mm-hmm. yeah but um so do you i'm trying to think of how to put this do you see that healthy interaction not only from guru to or from teacher to student but also from parent to child from friends to friend you know like do you mm-hmm. feel like we can as a people start to put these healthy relationships in place mm-hmm. and not how long is in time, but do you feel like the success of that coming in as a regular mm-hmm. sort of thing is possible? I mean, you know, the more I do it, the more I see the world doing it. <laughs> so um, I feel that the only thing we can be responsible is for doing it for ourselves, yeah, right? That makes sense. Yeah. And then, you know, in the um, esoteric um, ancient teachings, we, we know that we are the universe. So right. when that shifts within us, um completely then yeah. it shifts outside as well yeah. right I've so al- then... i've also noticed that it's just yes yeah. yeah, it's, it's a funny yeah. mm-hmm. funny thing to talk about yes but then when yeah. you when you do look you know read the news too much or <laughs> go outside of yourself and you see you know everything that's happening sometimes feels like in a whole other species <laughs> completely <laughs> different um you wonder but again, you're outside of yourself when you're doing that. Yeah. You're not inside yourself. Well, you know, we had our center. Even even there, the way that me and my closest friends who ran that place interact is always on the level. It's never a pedestal. We always find ways to communicate our, our most vulnerable truths and very, very efficiently. Even leaving the house sometimes would be like, oh, yeah. I forgot. Like, I forgot there'd be a person mad in line at the yes. at the store. Like, that's funny. I forgot that was even a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny how fast normalization can happen, though, if you're, if you are, practicing, like, integrated something so strongly yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly. the hope, that's the hope that I do have for the world. And I know yeah. I shouldn't be thinking about the world, but I do. And there's a part <laughs> of me that feels like I know it's possible to integrate these different ways of being. Yeah. And so uh, because I know that, a part of me has a lot of faith and hope that it will happen mm-hmm. for others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We can create that reality, um, but it doesn't mean that everybody creates the same reality. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to respect autonomy. Exactly. <laughs> um, your book. Mm-hmm. To say the title again and then tell me exactly what that means. Like if a person had never heard of... Of yeah. that reversing. Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Be, Feel, Think, Do. And the premise is that these four simple words, do, think, feel, be, which is how we usually engage them on a day-to-day basis, yeah. um, are at the core of our human suffering simply because we do them in the wrong order and in less than ideal proportions. So we spend most of our time in 
doing, 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 doing. We wake up in the morning and usually it's the to-do list that kind of creeps right. up in our minds right away. Um, we have about 70,000 thoughts a day. Um, it's really, really busy up, you know, up there and, and between the worries and the concerns that we have, there's not a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. That's one of the bad news about um, kind of how we engage our moment to moment is that those out of those 70,000 thoughts a day, 90% of those are recycled from the day before. Mm -hmm. So there's they're not even originals. No, <laughs> they're not original at all. And so we go do think, do think, do think. And then if we have time at the end of the day, maybe we'll feel and then maybe we'll be. And probably not though. In the probably yeah. not. Like maybe we'll have a thought about it before we fall asleep, but then we're so tired. We fall asleep and we fall asleep kind of in this unconscious like yeah. state. So when we come to feeling, we don't love to fully feel because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Numbness feels better. But like we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, conversation is that we can't be in protection and in growth mode at the same time. So when we keep at bay the bad, we also keep at bay the peace and the joy that's available to us. And then when we go down to B, which I, when I think of B, I think of the base of my spine or my lower belly. Like I'm in the depths of my being. We're human beings, yet we barely get to just be in the run of a day. So if we reverse the order and start with B, and we bring our breath and our attention deep down in our lower belly or at the base of our spine, this is where I imagine spirit meeting tissue, like the unmanifest becoming manifest, deep, deep down in the body there. And then from that place, there's, there's a real stillness that's not accessible when we're upper in the body, higher up in the body. And there's a silence also that's very um, intelligent and textured. And then we bring our attention up maybe to our heart space where I see feel happening. Feeling from a place of being first is very different. Our emotions, instead of being on loop and connected to the past and projected into the future, they're related to a movement inside the body. See, we know from epigenetics that the environment that we grew up in registered in the cells of our body. And when there's an interruption of a movement of energy, it creates a blockage in the body. When we bring our attention to where the blockage is felt, a movement wants to be restored. And in that movement, we don't dwell on emotions. We process them and we let them go. It's a very, very different place to experience feelings. That's when really you can see the light at the end of the tunnel of a trauma or of an emotion that feels unbearable. Then when we go up to our awareness, our mind, our head, our intellect, but we're coming from a place of being and feeling, thoughts are very different again. They're new. They're creative. They're spontaneous. They are to the service of the heart as opposed to the other way around. 
And often people think, well, if I live in the present moment and allow myself to be present, I'm not going to be able to do all the things I want to do. I'm going to stop being so smart to be able to do my job. And that's not true. We, our intellect becomes even more brilliant. More brilliant. But it's the ego that's worried. It's going to lose something. And yes, it's going to lose an old belief about yourself. That's it. So it's going to hold on to that to your life. Like it's not going to want to let it go. It's going to feel like something's going to die. Yes, something is going to die. But it's just the old you. And the fear of what happens is always greater than what actually happens when we surrender to that process. And then action, so do, the last part, is like Deepak would say, spontaneous right action. <laughs> I am in a place of reacting, but to that movement of intel- intelligence and flow and life force th- in me, and I have a right action in that moment. So then there's a beautiful coherence, a dance, a resonance between my soul, my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts, my words, and my actions. One reality, one me, one Anne, one Josh. It's so tiring when we show up as different people to different places in our lives. So from that perspective, there's one reality. And then, and then there's a connection with everybody else and everything else around us. I uh, don't know about you, audience, but I just went on the trip. <laughs> Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. That was cool. <laughs> you do that stuff too, Josh. I, I do, but it's also nice to receive, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, be, feel, think, do. That's an order in which we could organize our reality that is opposite to the typical do, think, feel, be. Exactly. Just wanted to say that very clearly for anyone who might have just been on that trip, just to integrate that. <laughs> yes, it's a way to engage our moment-to-moment existence from a different place deeper inside ourselves, and from a place of being and feeling, thought and action just come spontaneously. There's no real need to control or manage that. Mm. It's more an invite and allow reality to move through you what i think is also very neat is that this meditation um, is a little bit different than some of the meditations of the past too it feels like it's more embodied <laughs> it's not just about don't think it's not there's not a, a clear one word answer you're, you're inviting people to go very deep into themselves exactly. and yeah i really think that that work is very powerful and thank you for doing that in the world oh my pleasure i i um i think that you know, any a first step into that embodiment is to feel, even just to feel the sensations of, of, um, of pain in your body mm. or movement of energy in your body, and then feeling fully embodying your emotions and all, you know the, the the sadness or the traumas that has happened, and then you can really embody your soul. You can fully embody who you really are, that light, that God force. And then you have access to embodying God, mm. which you are. We are not a part of it, not a speck of it, not a fragment of it. We're it, 
from that embodying place, that's radical soul, soul love. Mm. Radical self-love. There's a recognition that I am the creator, but not from an ego place, from a real um, anchored, embodied, connecting with all around me, knowing that I'm God. I love that you're speaking to that too, because there's a lot of critiques about um, the new age you create your reality that a lot of people are like, cool, I want a car and I'm going to go <laughs> get a cheap one from that motherfucker over there. Yeah. But what you're saying is, yes, we create a reality, but it might not be just our minds just trying to get something fancy or new. Mm -hmm. oh, that can happen, yeah. but that's not the point. The point is to realize that creation is around and inside and all mm -hmm. everything, and we're in inextricably a part of that. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And <clears throat> we absolutely have the power to manifest if we focus our attention on whatever we want. That absolutely i i do believe that mm -hmm. you know experience that. exactly um but then there's also but what about what you really 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 want mm -hmm. like at a heart level if you feel the feeling of that desire already happened the um power of manifestation increases mm -hmm. if you can really feel the sensation of that emotion of the wish fulfilled already that really accelerates the um the power of the manifestation but then there's a third level josh that i realized recently is that what we really 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 desire we already are mm. yeah that makes sense and then there's a real coming into the moment and going i am so it's I not am. even about what you can get or no. can have it's what you are exactly yeah and if i desire something i am that mm. And the recognition that I am that in this moment is spontaneous fulfillment of desire. Oh! <laughs> oh can I give you an example? Yeah, please. So a couple months ago, I was really in this practice of really knowing that. And so I was meditating in the mornings about 7.30. And I, I had two, desire that I, two desires that I felt really strongly. Abundance and adventure. And I felt, I knew I was abundance and I knew I was adventure and I was breathing deeply into my meditation. And about eight o'clock comes around and I'm still meditating and I hear these little footsteps come up the stairs. You know, it's Hanalei, my daughter, just running up the stairs and she has a hat. And she, she has a hat full of, of dollar bills. There's about 120 American dollar bills and she just pours them on my, on my bed. Right in front of me. And so what happened is that that morning, there was a cruise ship coming into the city. And Paul took her to busk. She, wants, she loves to sing. She loves to busk. And there was a cruise ship coming in. She knew they were American. She knew she had to go down. And she stood there singing by herself for an hour from 6.30 to 7.30 while the cruise ship unloaded. And she piled up these American bills and came up. And in my, she's like, look, mama. And she just pours it on the bed. And spontaneous fulfillment of desire, right? It is given. You are it. And then moments later, my, my son runs up the stairs too. He's like, it's a Saturday morning. He's like, we're going on a hike today, right? We're going to Polly's Cove for a hike. There's the adventure. Nothing missing. It's really beautiful also because uh, I almost see an implication that you're not separate from your children in a very healthy way too. <laughs> yes. In other words, like your desires and their desires are, are one in that we regard. We are one, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And um, 
there was a time where she would have probably run up the stairs and I would have been annoyed she'd interrupted my meditation, right? If I, my meditation is more up in my head and disembodied, yes. I feel like I have to do something that I'm not enough. There's a lack. And therefore, she comes in with her energy, reinforces the, the lack. The idea of ruining a meditation yes. is kind of a funny thing. Isn't that thing funny? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But then this past <clears throat> fall, she's been going through issues with anxiety and 100% has, you know, is connected to me has brought me to my knees, it is a mirror, and so children are our greatest teacher and our teachers, and I don't say it lightly, like they will rip you apart mm-hmm. <laughs> and break you open to yourself in ways that um, I, I don't know, I, don't, I, couldn't, I couldn't dream up, I couldn't make this up, it's, um, it's powerful. Yeah, so you're right when you say that. Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. Um, so as we are to wrap up, um, I ask this question of everybody. Mm-hmm. If you had a chance to say one message, and I realize that can be a bit reductionist, but if you could say one message to the world, and let's picture someone was going to spray paint it on the um, tallest building in the world. So it was going to be this thing that everyone could see. <laughs> What would, what would that be? Mm, I would say trust your inner self and lead yourself. That would be my message. You know. You absolutely know inside yourself what the, what the path is um, and your compass inside is your guide. And if it feels awkward and you don't know how it's talking to you, there is ways to develop that communication. But at the end of the day, if we don't listen to that communication and if we don't become more familiar with it and we don't let it lead us, which is God talking to us, which is us talking to us as God, as universe, as source, we will always feel like something's missing. Thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you, Josh. And I love you. I love you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for the podcaster today, send an email to questionjcp at gmail.com. That's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-J-C-P at gmail.com. 